0: to Searching for Mana, the podcast that investigates the mana. That's the superpower in some of the most influential leaders who are building the future in tech innovation and finance. I'm Lloyd Warhead, a London-born entrepreneur and headhunter with over 15 years experience on a mission to discover what drives our guests to succeed. How have they got to the top? What attributes have excelled in their career? Listen to find out. Welcome to Searching for Mana. Welcome to Searching for Mana. On this episode of season two, we bring a new character, Mimi Nguyen, uh, who is head of Mana Labs um, and is midst PhD with Imperial College. Uh, Mimi is studying amongst a number of things. I think for the audience, think of it as the future of work and looking at digital tools and how they're productive and how they enable creativity. Um, Welcome to the show, Mimi. Hello. Hello. And um, Mimi thought Um, as if it wasn't enough just to have her on this episode, that she would bring some uh, additional academics and experts in their own domain all the way from Sydney to the show. So uh, we have Beatrice Corello Garcia on the show. Hi, Beatrice.
1: Hello, how are you?
0: (laughs) And we have uh, Viviana Rodriguez, Korean also. From, uh, both from the University of Sydney. Um, for an absolute amateur podcaster like myself, to give you guys justice in your introductions is, is slightly beyond my pay grade at the moment. So I'm going to ask us all to do a little round table if, if possible. So perhaps, um, Viviana, you could start with a brief introduction of uh, what it is that you're doing. Um,
2: yes, I am... Um, uh of the University of Sydney at the um, Department for Peace and Conflict Studies, and currently teaching the course Peace of Mind: The Psychology of Peace, and I ran a case study with with Beatrice about leadership and transformation for senior uh, undergraduates.
0: Fantastic! Those those are some cool gaming head, headphones that you've got on there, uh, Viviana. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Beatrice, if you could um, tell us a little bit about what you're doing, please.
1: Yeah, well, I'm also an, an academic at uh, uni. I'm at the Department of uh, Sociology and Social Policy. Uh, I guess um, I've, my research path has been one uh, a fairly sort of more conventional one in terms of working on social policy and social change, Uh, I work in in the context of China, of contemporary social change in China. Uh, But as an educator, um, um, I've been really interested in uh, transformative education, uh, in particularly how do we work with students um, in terms of um, not, not just working with abstract knowledge, but also how do we Really, form uh, leaders. So, working on, yeah, how do how do we integrate this idea of uh, personal growth with also professional growth and the two coming together?
0: Amazing, and, and hopefully that precursors to the audience, um, the the um, the relevance of you guys coming onto the show, searching for mana, because of course, you know, we're trying to find, um, you know, the the magic that um, people who are um, full of purpose in their careers um, have and the fact that you guys are connecting that from education to careers um, is obviously right on point.
3: Can you uh, can you give us some details about how, what is the project and, and, and do you work, uh, do you have any online work whilst working on it? I guess uh, as background we should also, we should have probably also said
1: that uh, um, the framework within which we have been collaborating and working, uh, Diana and I, has been uh, Theory U, uh, and the ULAB uh, course, an online course, based on the Theory U framework. Um, and, and I think that's important to mention, because um, the, the way in which we actually got engaged with Theory U and ULAB was actually all online. And so the connections that we built uh, in terms of just collaborations to build the prototype that we're doing, but also in terms of uh, now building towards um, our own research on collaboration within this framework uh, has all been uh, online. We, we started off um, face-to-face, but then, of course, the coronavirus happened uh, and we had to move uh, online. Um, and maybe we can maybe we can say something about uh, theory
3: U. I guess we'll, uh... Yes, I think mean that that would be quite useful for everyone to uh-huh. um, have a brief uh, understanding of what is what is theory U. I think it's it's quite popular. Maybe I, I heard about it at Central San Martins and um, in, in maybe academia, but like for for listeners, um, I think it, it would be quite useful to hear.
1: The key point or the key finding that uh, Otto Sharma, who, who built this theory, um, came through, um, he started off um, interviewing a lot of leaders in organizations, very similar to what, you know, Lloyd had been doing through his, through his podcast and tried to find out, you know, what was kind of like the essence that made somebody a, you know, an, a successful and effective leader. Or you know, where does that actually come from? Uh, and he, in an, in an interview with uh, Abil O'Brien, the former uh, CEO of Canada Insurance, uh, he talks about how you know, the, there's, there's a blind spot in leadership. That what matters in leadership is not so much what you do or how you do it, but rather it is the um, internal condition of the leader that matters um you know the interior condition from which he's actually operating um i don't know if that if that makes sense it's, it's kind of like a different difficult thing to to understand i don't know if, if you get a sense of what i mean by that but an interior condition
0: um so not really <laughs> no no i don't so it's, it's i think it's good because i'm coming um at this um as a layman i don't i don't know the theory um at all really but um, of course I do speak to a lot of um, leaders and I've had and heard it described as an inner scorecard. So um, the analogy being that you're working through your um, metrics based on an internalized, um, I suppose, set of values and propositions. And Mm -hmm. if those are true, then the decisions that you make um are going to have a, a continuity that either is going to allow you to be not successful mediocre or very successful
1: mm-hmm. yeah i think yeah. There's, there's there's an element of, of that i think in in your podcast with uh in your interview with nick Ogden, you talk about uh, uh unearthing the the iceberg so what's underneath and that's one of the metaphors that uh what Uses the uses as well. Like, we only know about the surface, but we need to go deep and understand what's, you know, what are kind of like, as you say, the values, uh, the kind of mentalities or things, the frameworks within which we actually work. And that's what we need to kind of like really uh, look deep down into. What, what's that, that's in a, in a condition um, that can be anything from intuition to even emotions, for example. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't know if you, if you want to add anything to that, Viviana, but I think I'm taking all of the space.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, um, yeah. yeah, I think also it's important uh, to mention that when when we met, we we were taking this. I was taking the course, and I kind of knew already uh, the theories that this um, the theory you based on, because that, that, that was kind of part of my background in my research. Um, but why was that useful? Because that was a, a common understanding on the of the framework. Uh, the theory you use had um, um, awareness-based practices, a set of tools, and um, in which kinda of like when take you that's what they call the use a journey uh when take you through the journey you can kind of like through the process you you it's experiential learning so you can kind of like embody those process so if someone say you know I took uh this course I can like think oh okay so you went through the tools which are the four levels of listening. Uh listening in the in in the youth is I mean, listening for anything is kind of like an underestimated skill, and it is a, a powerful skill for not just um, uh, business but any kind of relationships.
1: The importance of listening um, with an op- what they call, you know, opening uh, listening with an open mind, but also an open heart, so a kind of empathy, um, so that there is actually an open will. Uh, Mimi, you talked about you know how. What are the ways in which we col- when collaborate that can we can foster creativity and potentially innovation? Mm-hmm. So, what uh, what is argued in theory? You is that again in that looking for you know working on that inner condition in the you know in fostering uh, these different skills on you know how do I listen to other people again with an open mind and not just you know. Uh, I don't listen just for what re- reconfirms my own beliefs or, or ideas but I, I do listen carefully to and, and create a space where the other person um, feels feels we, we say we, we, he or she feels safe to really put forward their ideas uh, and in that process there's a, an element of trust that's being mm-hmm. developed I think this is one of the questions that that you had for us, you know, how do you develop trust? You know, we, you know, six, uh, eight months ago, we didn't know each other. And we, we you know, we, we met and we sort of started, uh, you know, to work on this project, you know, straight away, pretty much straight away without really knowing each other. But we, as we said, you know, we had that common framework, that common understanding of how we could build a relationship. Uh, we knew there was that, we we would come with a, a level of openness okay I'm mm-hmm. gonna I'm gonna listen we are we're from different disciplines um, we don't know each other, but I'm gonna be open to sort of listen to 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 this person and what they what they have to to offer. So the argument is that real dialogue, generative dialogue where Something new can come out can only happen when there's there's a strong relationship. When there's a relationship of 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 trust where you are really willing to even listen to stuff that maybe does not com- like goes against your own views uh, of of things.
0: To be to be um, able to to be able to get to that um, point where you have the trust where you can mm. um, come up with new things. What Um, what are the markers to get you there? So what I understand is that, of course, having an ability to have empathy and listen is a very useful trait, which somebody could have come to this introduction with anyway, or it could potentially be taken through a series of um, development. Um, What are the other things? So in that seven months, what are you looking to achieve, talk about the stages you go through, to the point where you're like, right, we've got a shared understanding, there's trust here, and now we can mm. collaborate and and create.
2: Uh, so you go through that, as Beatrice said, you know, that the open heart, open mind, the, the generative, which is the open will. So basically, both of you are co-creating into something and they call like the emerging future, because it's something that didn't exist. So we co-created, so far we... Um, uh, we did write a chapter together, and we had this case study, and we had a we have a poster coming up in, in the Manila Visitor next week. So it's co-creating in terms of um, something is emerging, something is emerging as we are co-creating something that I couldn't have done by myself, and she couldn't done by herself. But we are um, it's kind of like invitation to. To and that, that's when innovation comes up. It, it's an it's a it's an invita- an invitation to to a new knowledge that didn't exist before, and um, and when you are in that um, in sensing that you are uh, kind of like invited to uncertainty, you you know you open the floor to uncertainty and you just jump and see let's see what can happen, and then. Um, uh, from that sense, both of us, if it's that trust, can give the best, the best of each other, and which is different when you have this only downloading or closing your heart, uh, because you will find resistance, and when you find resistance, you don't give the best of yourself. Uh, you just probably just you know follow the uh, the paper or the schedule or whatever it is, mm-hmm. but it's not that invitation to to something new and risk, which, uh, which is when magic happens sometimes in an organisation or, or a business.
0: Mimi, um, I'll let you ask a series of the questions. Um, but the, 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 the point here that's interesting to me is, isn't this more about almost the, the interview process of who you're bringing together in this instance? If people have this mindset, then this works really well. Um, whereas if they oh, don't, I
3: also wanted to ask about this. So, because mm. you, you mentioned like few key essential points, or so listening with open heart, willingness mm-hmm. to co-creation, but um, it goes back to let's say personality. So, um, if if you bring in people that are not open to listen and, and are not willing to co-create. Or does have very strong character? How do you hmm. overcome such issues? How do you actually reach the level of listening with open heart, co-creating um, successfully? Mm-hmm. If someone is not used to that, haven't done that before, uh, maybe, you know, he, he used to work before alone, And um, do you have any, tact, any special tools for that, any practices to, to enable these things to happen? Or, or is it, mm-hmm. as Lois said, bringing the right people? Uh-huh. Yeah, no, there's, there,
1: there's definitely a um, a self-selection there uh, in 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 a way. I was open to, to working with Viviana because I knew she was familiar with same with the same framework. Um, but um, I was just gonna give an example from you know from the students with which we are working with. Um, as I said, you know, we're doing a, a within a large um, unit or subject um, with. Third-year university students. This is an, uh, a unit where they they work on interdisciplinary. How do you work in, with you know with people from other disciplines? This is mm-hmm. in preparing them for joining the you know the workforce. Um, in the workforce, you're going to work with people from who are outside your discipline, who come from a very different framework, uh, you know, sh- different understandings, different concepts, and so on. So we're trying to put them together and get them to. To do group work, you know, and and Mm -hmm. students hate the group work because there's always the issue of oh, you know, one ends up being doing all of the work, one brings the, um, one brings the ideas, the other one doesn't do anything, and I guess you know this is what happens then in you know in organizations as well. Uh, So it's it's in a way it's a similar it's a similar scenario where we're talking about uh, students here nonetheless. So. Within that larger subject, we get uh, a smaller number of students to work on our case study on transformation uh, and, and leadership. Not all of these students have chosen this case study, so some of them were allocated, and we know that actually some of them not want to work on on this topic. So there you have you know people who actually are not really on board on this whole, um, you know. Working with open mind, open heart, uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and so I mean, they're already again, theory U has its own its own tools. One of them is uh, like many other uh, m- many other frameworks. Uh, the use of mindfulness, for example. So we started. We met with the students for Zoom. Uh, so we used uh, a short um, a mindfulness meditation at the beginning, just make you know, bringing people. Uh, bringing students in, you know, you know, just you know, you use three minutes to come down and you know be more present. And I know that this is something that is used uh, uh, in other contexts where they do, if not a meditation, they can do a check-in. Uh, so it's a, a way of like getting getting people to kind of uh, shift from you know whatever they were they were in before, where they wherever they coming from. To this space where we are now in, um, and I guess to emphasize there in that, in those discussions with the students, uh, and I think they noticed that as well, and that shift in conversations that we were not coming from a um, judging what they were what they were saying. Uh, we introduced them early on to the levels of listening, and we asked them to do. Um, To do to practice that exercise, so we give them a sort of a a leading question, and I think this is something that you know organizations can easily do, uh, where people actually get to try out just thinking. And it's it's, so it's not very it can it doesn't have to be very esoteric. You know, talking about you know getting people to do sort of chanting or whatever. It's just you know to say, look, there's if you really notice, uh, if you try to listen. Uh, but really, listen—not just kind of like, uh, as we say, you know, preparing your your answer or reputation or whatever. Just sit there and listen to what the other person uh, person is saying, uh, and try not to to just to judge or, or use your prejudgment to then assess what they are what they are saying. So, there are different tools that are proposed uh, to actually help create. The space where people feel safe to talk, uh, and it might take you know a little bit of um, a little bit of training of of groups, okay, so that to kind of establish uh, some form of agreement on how the group will operate, and this mm-hmm. could be by you know maybe distributing information about the levels of listening, watching a video, and then people can have. Um, share so, how they feel about
3: those ideas. It's kind of like a shared understanding about the um, system and the procedures, as, as I send you the questions before. Um, mm-hmm. How do you share this information? It's before the meeting. So you prepare yes. before that. Yes,
1: yes. We did send the information to the students before, before we met. Yes. Yeah.
3: And they, they, um, they can uh, prepare, as you say, and, and come already with some uh, mindset to, to, the, to the meeting. And then you have this mindfulness kind of uh, tool, let's say session, quick one before. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that it, it, it helps increase the kind of chance that everyone will be listening. But then um, there's another study um, about collaboration, like cross cultural collaboration, when mm-hmm. there was an issue with contributing to the conversation that um, Asian, I think that that case was Japanese students would listen but then they wouldn't speak much comparing mm-hmm. to French for example uh, team members mm-hmm. so do you have uh, any cases like that and how do you how do you tackle them
1: uh-huh uh well we we yeah we we have a very multicultural uh student student body so we do have quite a lot of international students including a lot of uh primarily chinese students uh within even within our own groups uh, viviana I, you you i stopped you i think you wanted to say to add something
2: yeah um, these are only two tools they, they the presidency institute have 12 tools so some are you know coaching circles um uh, case clinics and journaling so they're, are um what is the other one stakeholder interview so basically what those tools do or the objective of those tools is kind of like for that's how I see it. Kind of like invite you to really jump into that certainty and to to kind of like to, to that area of the assumption making of people. And and kind of like if, if I went through an interviews and and put you together with different groups online and offline with people. And and basically what what you do is kind of like. Um, I will say it's open to vulnerability. And when it's open to that vulnerability, you can kind of like um the famous, you know, know yourself first, uh, can which is kind of related to that interior condition. Once you know yourself, you can kind of like it comes up the element of courage. So when you see these large organizations that someone doesn't speak, it's an element of courage there. Uh that you know, and we were talking this with Beatricelli, what, what, what happened, you know, in this organization when we see power dynamics, uh, you know, that's the boss, mm-hmm. and for, you know, you speak, speakers, things like that. And so power is a, an element there um, or or that it doesn't necessarily have to be your boss. It can be a power dynamic within the same group. And mm-hmm. and so basically with, uh, with those tools, um, it's kind of like a, Each one kind of like open a a layer of consciousness in a way that invites you to see, oh, okay, kind of like this is coming up this time. So, you know, the element of courage and that you need to, uh, uh, because our awareness-based practice, you have more awareness of what is going on. And when you have that awareness, you can make the choice. So you you will realize you are either working in a toxic environment or you, or perhaps you have, and, um, the space, uh, the possibility to co-create, and a space for you to to come and talk, and to to let your voice heard. And so I think that that um, uh, 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 that element comes up. And we were talking with Beatriz as well about: is this cultural? Is this mindset? Or you were mm-hmm. same personalities? You know what is it? Because sometimes it can be a different same culture, and you know you have those issues. Oh, it's power dynamics. What is it? Um, I, I think comes back to kind of like um, what what we at the beginning, the blind spot. How do you create an environment, a working environment, in which uh, people is aware of well, you know what is happening, and can realize of their of what they are doing. And what is the responsibility, the the response plausibility, the accountability to what is happening? Mm-hmm. Uh, so either coming from the management, you know, if I say something that is uh, completely wrong or something, yeah. and then and then perhaps the the say the 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 group working choose to stay in silence. The silence will say more about what I just say than the. Than anything else, right? So those kind of um, uh, uh, elements, I will say, is what gives that uh, that difference in terms of relationship. So we see it more as um, uh, that co-creation as uh, kind of like uh, you know iteration, not just of the product of what you want to create, but also iteration of the relationship okay. of what's going on. And um, and and not to say that you know this is, it's not all great, but you know the idea is that if you know the it can be shadows that comes up, there is an invitation to to point those blind spots and to work on them. Um, so so yeah, I. How would
3: you how would you tackle that that uh, issue of this blind spot? So as an example, for example, like a, I have a project when we're working with different people in one of the universities uh, that I'm involved with. And um, someone just raised a problem yesterday, that the problem is with communication. And this is exactly what you said. We don't know who is doing what, the awareness of what are the roles of people in the project, who is responsible for what, and how do you solve this? Because it has been going since, uh, I think, a long time. And we still don't know. It's kind of like there are voices that someone is taking over, over someone's role. Uh, someone is taking over someone's job in, in like, um, in a in a metaphorical way. It's like doing his stuff, responsible for his metrics. And uh, how would you communicate that, or how would you build this shared understanding about roles in, inside the team?
1: I think it involves some really uh, fairly difficult conversations that can be, you know. Awkward if you don't again if you don't have uh, if you haven't created again that space where those conversations can can take place. Uh, so this is you know exactly the same scenario that we see with students. Uh, you know this person hasn't done their job. This person is always late. Uh, doesn't show up at the at the meetings uh, and they're just lazy. So there's it. You can and, and without without saying to the the student um, you realize that you're actually not even listening to that to that person so we we had a conversation uh where i was with with that group where the the other the other party is able to say this is this is what's been been happening in let's just say you know i've had to work more hours um, because due to COVID nineteen I have to help my family. So that means I haven't been able to put more work on that. So but what I mean that that conversation between those two students wouldn't have been able to happen at all if we hadn't actually put them in that in that being created where they where she actually felt safe to say, these, these are the issues that are going on in my life that I actually not allow me to, to To work at the level that the group needs me to work in. I mean, what you're talking about there, uh, it's also about, you know, clarifying of, of roles that, you know, would probably be more productively addressed again if it takes place, uh, in person, perhaps rather than in, um, by email that these things happen a lot by email and there's so much misunderstanding, um, through email, uh, but again, we, we have noticed that the quality of the space in which you meet is so crucial. Uh, if you're in a meeting where you don't feel comfortable, safe, you're just not going to talk and you're not going to bring out perhaps good ideas. So what I, what I do often when we meet with the students, often that you go kind of like almost like in the trance, where you just kind of like try to disconnect from everything and just listen to what this person is saying and what is coming up um for you from what that other person is saying and that's where ideas start to come out um but one of the other things that I that I was going to say in terms of um, your original point about um, what happens where you know some people tend to be more talkative or more ready to say things and then they they try they, you know they, they capture the conversation mm-hmm. uh, that there are different ways of also the, Theory, you have some tools to for gathering different forms of um, of knowledge, because one of the things um, that they work on is again that uh, cognition, the way you know, we, the way we think about things, uh, it's really embodied. So there's there's kind of like if I feel uncomfortable, again, if I feel uncomfortable in my body, there's no, again, the sense of not not being safe, then probably also I won't have you know the best. Uh, the best thinking uh, that I can that I can have. Uh, so how do we people tap into their different knowledges differently? So one of them is uh, ascribing. Um, again, in, in the interview with Nick Ogden, he talks about visualizing, uh, visualizing an idea that creates common understanding. So one of the things that um, we often do when we have um, a meetings as well is that we have one person. That does scribing, uh, and we can send you a link to uh, to a really good scribe that uh, often does the uh, the scribing for for ULab, um, mm-hmm. where then there's another way of in which um, information around, about the dialogue um, that took place gets sort of imprinted into into an image, and that brings out you know different things that uh, were there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are others. That are more embodied, like um, social presence in theatre, where actually people are meant to to move and and sort of get into positions. Uh, a, a question is posed, you know, what is how are you experiencing? Where are you stuck? And then you use your body, and perhaps you know um, through there also kind of get insights into what's not working in a group. Um, so those are other other tools through which. We might, you know, the group might actually be able to get um, participation from different group members in that group that's not necessarily as a verbal thing. So sometimes, you know, we'll always get the case where you, some people will talk more or be more clear in their ideas and the way they speak, uh, while others uh, might also have good ideas but not necessarily be able to articulate them in that way. So they might be able to articulate different. In a different way, through visual or other forms, um, of expressing that that uh, that inner
3: knowledge. How do you incorporate all these tools? Is it um, like you have a a rigid procedure for the meeting, or it depends on the meeting, the type of the meeting, when you um, when you show, like when you pick, like okay, today we're using this. Today we do meditation. Today we're Mm -hmm. do some exercises or or you say like physical um, trying to physically with the body Mm -hmm. uh do some movements um how do you decide on on this Mm
1: -hmm. i mean we 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 try to have always uh um at least a short mindfulness moment to get us into the place where we are in um and i've done that even with uh at the beginning of my lecture Mm -hmm. um And actually, I just read uh, an article. I was reading an article um, of a study that was done uh, where students also had a meditation before the lecture, and they were actually they found that they were able to recollect more information when they had done the meditation at Mm -hmm. the beginning of the lecture than when they hadn't. So so there's there's already some uh, evidence emerging that um, of the benefits of such practices, even just for again for the uh internalizing or recollection of what happened in this particular lecture or in a particular mm-hmm. meeting. So we always we always do that. Another tool also um
2: that Beatrice is mentioning, you know, the, the arts is basically trying to uh, we're encouraging different ways of expression, kind of like in their learning way that not just uh through maybe reports, you know, what we come on now from from coming up, but different ways of expression and 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 in that way incorporating it in, and being inclusive in terms of uh, in describing uh, drawing and and you know an image can it's it's a powerful thing to to show. Recently I saw scribing with music on Peter Sange, um, the the last um interview that the presence institute did which is it's it's amazing and and another tool for for that communication and I think a, a, a few organizations that are working with the EU use it is uh is that um uh, not everybody understanding I don't know so much the goal but maybe we just can talk about how they separate that that mindset of You see things separate, Cartesian way or holistic way, Uh, but that um, everybody's intention. What is your intention today in this meeting? Mm -hmm. Uh, What do you want to get out of of this? Or what is your uh, purpose or creating a common vision, uh, which kind of creates a collective uh, intelligence, but acknowledging everybody's intention within the group. That perhaps can help that communication, you know, I think somebody entering a room have an intention, what is your intention today for this particular moment? It can be for no oh, and, and that can grow into a terms of, you know, what is your intention, your vision for that um or for the company.
3: Yeah. So how do you how do you communicate yeah. this? How or how do you make sure everyone understands? Uh, other people's intention or how do you bring everyone's intention to the same on the same board?
2: We go through the room. I did like going through the room, <coughs> uh through the uh, you know, through everybody's boxes. <laughs> you know, what is your intention today, Beatrice? What is your intention today, Mimi? Mm-hmm. What is your intention today? Or um and then perhaps co-create. Okay, our common intention is this or um and that can also, can also, you know, be flexible. That that uh, perhaps may, may shift, or you know, what is our vision, our common vision? That's when you do, you wanna create mm-hmm. a common vision. So, so it's it's very simple. It's not something that takes too long, but perhaps just doing that, kind of, like you acknowledge each person.
1: I think what you're referring to is that, and um, a lot of uh, there's this this sort of this new organizational model where. A lot of these organizations see themselves as living organisms. Mm-hmm. And this idea of again of, of being as an organization as a business, being uh, being a, a living system, where you know we really need to to kind of like be aware of that relationships between all of uh, employees uh, within organization. And you probably maybe have heard of uh, teal organizations or of or holocracy. Um, I was actually just doing some. Some research before we came into the podcast, uh, and I found out that Patagonia actually uh, works under sort of deal, um, deal um, organization principles. Um, whereas you say, you know, that there's an, an alignment uh, of, of purpose or of vision amongst all of the members of that particular business, or organization, mm-hmm. or group. Um, so I think that's why setting up uh, a meeting with an intention where everyone sort of just says, you know, what is it that I'm actually trying to get uh, out of this meeting? You know, how many meetings do we go in where even when we have an agenda, we don't really know what is the purpose of this meeting. This is just a regular meeting that we have. And yeah. you just sit there and, and, and know that it's going to be almost like a, a one-way uh, communication where they're, they're just going to tell me, what I need to do, or what's the new policy, or whatever. So, uh, in, that, in that setting, really very little happens. You know, I'm, I'm thinking specifically of my departmental meetings. Um, and so, when, because there's actually no intention of at the big be- setup at the beginning where this is actually what we want to achieve, um, or what we're hoping to achieve, what's the purpose for, for this particular meeting. So if that's set out at the very beginning, I think that really helps um, the conversation and sort of teasing out what it is that the group wants to get out of this, rather than just kind of like showing up, sitting there, and
3: just wait to see what they say. There are many calls against meetings, so um, I think Lord Lloyd can share some information about um, base camp. They they had this theory in I think the 80s or 90s that meetings are useless, and I think. Jeff Bezos also mentioned that the meeting should not be longer than I think forty minutes or thirty minutes and mm-hmm. it should be more than um the amount of people in the in the meeting shouldn't be more than um one pizza that could feed or something. So it, it ended up with like mm-hmm. three mm-hmm. People max. And that's that's the point because it's so hard to manage people, maybe. That's um, right. Yeah.
1: I mean that's um always in um again in, in, in meetings um where we uh, where we where we work again with the principles of EU, we always um, work in groups of four to five people uh, mm-hmm. in what we call coaching coaching circles. And I think that, yeah, you know of working in a circle as well has become you know um, very popular and and I see that that they work better than just you know, other sitting arrangements when we were actually able to to meet face to face. But even in the virtual in a virtual setting, um, you know in in ULab we have um, live live meetings with hundreds of people, and then they separate us into smaller mm-hmm. into smaller groups and then we, we we come back together and there's a sharing of of ideas after that harvesting in the of in the smaller in the smaller group because otherwise you wouldn't be able to get anything out of that uh, out of that larger group so there's there's always um, that need for Yes, yeah, for are working in, in groups of um, four five, or four, five, uh, five people.
3: What do you... Uh, so you, you already tested, let's say or are testing right now, this Fiori you, in your meetings with students. How do you see... Um, how fast can this be implemented in, in more companies? And how would you convince companies to use that? what would be the value for them because also that they would ask about monetary value of implementing such mm, things mm-hmm. it requires actually as I asked like someone who is aware of such tools that can can um, can pick and choose uh, uh, a specific one for for each meetings and mm. yeah how, how can this be actually um, brought into a, a wider industrial context
1: hmm I mean I would be when when you were saying, you know, do you have like a checklist of the things that you need to do for a meeting to to work? And I'll be wary to say that there's like there is an actual you know step by step fix your organisation because um, in in a way the way in which we we sort of um, n- try know what to what sort of what sort of tools implement on on the day it changes because you've got a sense how you know, how people are uh, doing. Uh, I mean, for example, with COVID-19, the very early um, period when we moved uh, all teaching online, I mean, there's a high level of anxiety, uh, uncertainty. I mean, people are not really, you know, you can't just go into very complex theoretical things around that time because it's just not going to get into people. So there's kind of a sense of you've got to see what are the issues happening uh, within your organization, your particular group, and what's needed uh, at that point, point? Uh, and you know this. W- actually, one of the things that we talked about um, um, with Viviana just earlier on is about commitment, um, and and I think that things can move quicker if there is you know a strong sense of commitment from individual members of a particular group. So in a way you know in any organization and different parts of an organization you'll have people who are you know differently committed to particular yeah. processes or, or, or projects so that groups can identify um, who are the people who are committed or, or what levels of commitment they can have to a particular project and that's where things might be able to to move uh, to move faster but that requires again you um, what we said before, you know, an alignment of purpose, uh, an expression of commitment. So if we agree, or of, of we have an alignment like Viviana and I had of what we wanted to do uh, at the university, which was to bring the principles in, uh, of Theory U, uh, including incorporating things like mindfulness, things like coaching circles into the actual teaching, so we had a common goal, a common, a common purpose. Then you can move things faster, and we were highly committed to that goal. So I think yeah, commitment is also an important uh, element in, in, in whether a collaboration can work or not. Um,
3: Do you have any tips <laughs> to, to increase this commitment in team members? So I, I've spoken to uh, some interviewees, and they mentioned that especially in the online environment, people are completely disengaged. So you, they are muted. You don't even know if they're eating right now. They just went out to make some coffee. Um, and also, it's, it's, it's kind of like hard to guess, as you said, with the commitment. Do they really care about it anymore? Or are they mm-hmm. just completely I, disengaged? I, and and how, how would you bring this commitment back or increase this level of commitment?
2: Mm-hmm. I see that very well, linked with, with the intention part. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, 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 because then you know the expectation that you can have from from each person. I mean, there is a, I don't know. You know, you put it. You know, you can put four levels of commitment. Uh, are you commit to to come and show, which is fine as long as you know you come and show your commitment to 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 do something by certain thing reaching this point, or are you committed? So you kind of with levels of. Of commitment, and, and and therefore you have kind of like levels of expectation that you can have, and that's kind of like linked to, mm-hmm. to you know that that intention of the, uh, because some mm-hmm. uh, a different in the organization or different power levels or or, or different departments, it will depend. It, sometimes it's not you know some people have more time than others. So it will say, or oh, some people, you know, oh that that interested me. So I will I will jump in, you know, and and commit to that. And so sometimes it's opening the floor to the whole organization. For example, I was um, recently uh, I think his his name is Charlie, the visionary of Declaton. And so he talks about that they use youth theory in the organization. They have um, I don't know hundred thousand employees, so it's a huge organization. So. And, but opening the floor to everybody, and you know, uh, it will get maybe interest from here and there, and and but but it's that it's, it's you know some people will be have will have more interest, in, so it's a, so some people will will uh, have more time to 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 take it. Some people will be I don't know. We talk about kind of like, uh, consciousness in a way that you know oh. I didn't realize. So you, you kind of, like, you know, at certain points you, you like your interests about things, and that you know, mm-hmm. other times you are not. And so, kind of like knowing how to to navigate within within the organization, uh, it's uh, it's a really powerful thing. I, as I say, it's, I, I see it as a, as a long run in terms of tips. You know, it's that that, that it's not that uh, come and fix my organization by mm-hmm. tomorrow, uh, because yeah. Uh, growth takes time, and mm-hmm. transformation takes time as well. Um, but it pays off. Um, so is that you know how do you see personal transformation or, or the company transformation? Uh, but sometimes we see you know workshops or one day or you know consultant company. So trying to fix things uh, without really see or learn first maybe. Listening
3: to the employees sometimes it has proven to um, done. Yeah. But I have one uh, case, for example. How do you make people accountable for such commitment? So there will be some, uh, some, uh, some employees, let's say, uh, or some people in the organization who would express such commitment and who would um, be willing to listen, would also be willing to raise their um, the voices in terms of what bothers them in the organization would be willing to share um, the mm-hmm. situation, case, and but then they wouldn't deliver. How do you make people accountable for such commitments? So how mm-hmm. would you verify them? How would you also communicate with them that okay, it's great that you are talking about all these beautiful things, um, but are you really accountable for that? Will you actually do these things? And how, if they won't deliver these things, how can we? Um, review that with them, and, and make mm-hmm. sure they will do it next time.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: I was just I was thinking that, um,
1: uh, that commitment, and real commitment, uh, would also come from a sense of individuals uh, having a reassurance that their input would then have some traction, like whatever they're going to contribute in terms of their time and their ideas will be taken into account. Uh, and I would say that that would be a, a, um, a big sort of intrinsic motivation for, mm-hmm. for putting forward commitment. Um, so I, I would say that um, in, in the in the case that you are that you're putting forward that perhaps it was not a real commitment, but it was more of a uh, I have to say that I'm committed to this because I have to, you know fulfill the expectations of, of my boss again it, it might be hard to then to, to establish to what extent uh, a person's commitment is is, is real or, or not um, and but I, I guess you know every organization will have its own accountability mechanisms uh, which might be you know um, based around punishment or you know other kinds of sort of Punitive um, um, mechanisms that you know everyone will sort of try to navigate uh, around, but again, it will be back to those issues need to be then worked back in a group. They all need to be brought back to the group where that person is 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 is, is engaged in a conversation of why did you did not actually. Um, you know, fulfill the or, or did what you had had said you, you would do. Again, you know, these are not uh these are not easy conversations uh to have. And that's why uh we emphasize so much the, the need for personal growth along organizational change. So the two things sort of need to come together. Um and this is where A whole organization or or a whole group needs to be on board because you can't do it where, in an organization, not everyone is on board. uh, Not everyone is, you know, there's no alignment in purpose of what the company stands for and what the employees stand for and what they what values they hold. Unless there is a shared, an alignment of, of of values and purpose between the the business and the employee or the group. And, and the purpose. Then, I mean, you're never going to get. Uh, uh, I mean, it sounds like like an ideal scenario, but and, and but I think it, it can be it can be worked. Um, and I think already there are examples of of, of that working, but it involves a lot of a lot of work. And as Vienna said, you know, uh, perhaps a lot of time. Um, that uh, I think has has proven. Not just um, successfully in terms of um, monetary value, but also in terms of sustainability of, of businesses mm-hmm. um, but I agree there are no and and these are again really really messy, really messy uh, situations. I mean we we hear about you know the successes, but we don't know what actually happened, you know, in those sort of small meetings and group work and, and that mm-hmm. work is messy. It's not always easy and, and uh, but if the group is able to sit with that discomfort and work through those projects on the basis of open mind, open heart and open will. No matter how how resistant or how much we hate somebody, or how much somebody is lazy, hasn't showed up, and so on, if we're willing to give them really that space, something might actually be able to emerge. Otherwise, it's not going to emerge. yeah. I don't know. I mean,
3: it's very are... ex- positive. Yeah. Optimistic.
2: <laughs> yeah. And always checking. I mean, this is responsibility. What is the ability to respond? So some steps can happen in your personal life. So therefore your ability to respond and be responsible, therefore, have, you know, um, have changed.
0: What we've just heard is, is fascinating because to be able to implement into your organization the you theory perfectly is an absolute masterclass of bringing those drivers together of individuals where the organization is, is at one. So where I've seen this work best in the best either startups or incubated units in large organizations is where everybody who's brought in is aligned with their incentive and then they have a shared trust and then they're able to, you know, kind of bang stones with each other at points, but get through that if they know that that's getting them to the same common purpose. And where you don't see this work very well is where um, the leadership take this from a top down perspective, um, where you where it works best is where everybody's pushing up, right? And it's, it's uh, meteocratic. But again, I think that to get this right requires um, every single individual in the organization, almost, to feel equally incentivized, understand what their purpose is. And and therefore, you know, what we spend a lot of our time trying to do in the first instance, is critique if that person has that opportunity in their current organization. Uh, And often they do. It just takes them maybe being more vocal, um, talking to the right people, maybe moving on to a different internal opportunity. And if not, then they probably need to go and work at finding the organisation and culture where they can truly, um, you know, uh, be incentivized and where they have purpose. So that's some of the fun we have with candidates mm. and the headhunting and trying to make sure that we put the right people into the right opportunities. And then, you know, you've mentioned Nick a couple of times, uh, Nick Ogden, who founded WorldPay. Um, What he seemed to be incredibly good at is immediately visualizing this to anybody who would come into the organization or not. And so if you're able to do that, then you've got a screening for making sure that who comes through is aligned. But also what I think he's very good at is understanding not everybody at all moments needs to be on the same meeting. Not everybody at all Mm. moments needs to be pushing the same verticals in the business, right? And that's the other skill of a leader, is allowing people to be accountable for sometimes just one thing, you know? Just that's your accountability, own that. And then more often than not, as a headhunter again, people in the organization who are employees, um, you know, I'll go through their drivers and they're not frustrated at money, they're not frustrated at prestige, they're frustrated that they don't feel appreciated for the value that they could bring. And so again, to be somebody like a Nick Ogden or a, a successful leader of a team or a, a startup, you need to be a master psychologist. You need to be able to implement um, systems that allow these um, these blind spots in your organizations to pop out and then to be able to be agile with that. And so I suppose my question to 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 raise to, to you guys is other than being able to have these 360 gurus in the organization, uh, and particularly because of COVID, now we're moving on to a lot more online um, meetings, which is which is great in some ways, I believe, but it's also another blind spot because you know an individual brings their, their show face to that that meeting, whereas when you're in an environment for 10 hours with each other. Perhaps there's more of a natural understanding, uh, more of a circle in the um, in the meeting. How would you advise businesses looking to have best practices um, who are looking to be um, all jointly incentivized other than their selection process, other than some people need to leave? What tools are you looking at? What, what systems could people be using? Um, just just to make the question more uh transactional you know should they be using tools like monday do you not like these we've seen in america clubhouse suddenly get a load of investment which is different virtual rooms that uh one staff can be in at the same time um you know as a company we're using slack and quite frankly i think actually it's quite unproductive a lot of the time for many different reasons what are some of the things that we could we could um take from you as actionable advice
2: For me, I feel that we're closer (laughs) when we are online because I can see you. You're kind of like, you know, 40 centimeters. Like when we're, if I will be on the space, you probably have, you know, some distance. So I experience that when, you know, when I'm I'm doing even my teaching, I feel everybody more is closer to me. That's that's interesting.
0: That's interesting you say that so so if 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 you're a business right now business owner and you're thinking about the expense of offices perhaps we don't go back to that physical workspace perhaps we should have meetups in person every now and again there's some value in that or perhaps actually we need to be really close and trust each other but that is actually better online what's your view on that a lot of people are thinking this through at the moment
1: Uh, really this is the first time in history where so many people have had to work through this medium for such a you know consistent amount of time. So I think we're only just on trying to you know beginning to understand what happens, you know, Zoom fatigue, this and that, and how different people respond to having to work online instead of uh, of working face to face. You know, we yeah. see it. We see the same thing with the students. Some, the majority would say, you know, I don't love it, but. It's it's okay. Like you can get used to it. Uh, but a lot of people do talk about um, I, I miss that face-to-face uh, interaction and what can come out of that face-to-face interaction. Um, so in terms of you know whether or not uh, I, I guess we will get used to uh, whether we like it or not to interacting more online and you know how that technology will evolve. I'm sure that it will facilitate um, conversations. I guess my my takeaway would be that still the need for um, creating a, a a safe space, like that again, that shared understanding, maybe the checking in, maybe the mindfulness, something that uh, and and then again a shared framework that we're all coming in with an open mind, open heart, or um, that was that that sense of this meeting or this particular uh, in this particular group that we we're coming together. Uh, we will you know we will have respect but also we'll have you know open mind and so on so that people feel in they're in a safe space. Uh, the second thing will be small groups uh, that companies need to continue to try to encourage smaller groups uh, And something that I was thinking of before as well is that uh, um, when when we began our collaboration with Viviana I mean my my sense was, um, when, before, I, before I started to, to work with her, it was like, how do, we, how do we change a system like the university, which is so bureaucratic? So there's all these systems. And if you want to change something, well, does it align to, uh, to with the curriculum, you know, the accreditation, and so on and so forth? It's, it almost feels like you can't change any systems, or the way the system works. Uh, and so we, we realize of the need to find leverage points. Uh, so, because you were saying, you know, it's simply like you have to have the whole system, the whole organization, everybody in there aligned with this, with this purpose or this vision. Uh, and of course, that's not going to happen in one go or you, or not in an exercise where you change everyone's minds, but you start off by working in, in smaller groups and, and see what are the leverage points to, to, to bring forward further change uh, in, in other parts of a particular business or organization or university, uh, and, and, and so on. Um, um, so, going back to, to your question, um, yeah, I, I guess my takeaway will be at the end of the day, it's not so much a technology whether it's online or whether it's face to face. Both of them can be uh, equally productive or equally not working. Uh, it's more about, again, what is the framework within which we are working? Do we have an alignment uh, of purpose? Do we have alignment of intention? And do we have a set of agreements in terms of how we are going to interact with each other? I think that's perhaps much more important than than whether it's in a physical space or whether it's in a virtual
0: space. Yeah, I think um, the, that's really interesting. My. My view is that um, it can be um, equally productive, but we all are coming into face to face meetings with a lifetime of experience of how to um, commit to that moment. Um, You know, you are conscious of your hands, you're conscious of your body language, you know, you give it a certain amount of respect when you're in uh, a physical face to face meeting with people. And that respect and that commitment is what allows people, I think, very much what you guys are rightly saying, to 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 get the most out of that um, meeting. In some instances, obviously not if you know there's twenty people around a board table and one person's driving the agenda, but in the right face-to-face meetings. So I think what's happening with um, you know um, virtual meetings is we're all getting better at it, and and I I imagine that the the um, the development curve is. Is phenomenal, and actually, we might find for certain personalities and for certain types of meetings, it becomes the 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 favoured form of meeting. Mm. And I go back to Mimi's point about the book, which is called Rework, um, which (laughs) is written very much by technically minded individual, Um, and uh, he clearly made the evaluation that you know meetings were the death of his time and productivity. And so for him, uh, this 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 really worked. He stripped those out, and I think in a small organisation, if an individual is successfully driving an agenda and they're functional, then then that's one way to think, right? But um, you know, it's a great thing about companies. You can go and choose which company's culture you like best, and of course, hopefully, we're moving into a world where if people want to completely work remotely, have virtual meetings the whole time, that's going to be an offering and if people want to go and work in businesses where the whole time is face to face and they prefer that then mm. go find that organization so there will be yeah. no binary one or zero that comes out of mm-hmm. here that I think very positive outcome going to be that we'll probably have more freedom of option to still be successful in what we choose to have purpose in and uh, the really fun thing which you know already uh, has come out of this is that you know we're talking to you guys in Australia um, just like I could be talking to somebody who's down the road from me in London, and therefore already, you know, it's a it's a richer experience for us because of that.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. yeah. I I think
2: it's. Um, I mean, connecting back to the beginning and the, you know, that how that contribute to the future of work. Um, and what I mean, what you just kind of, you know, how do you? It's kind of like putting effort on the process, you know, flexibility to the process. You can have the podcast one the way, and that's it, you know, that's the only way it can be. That kind of like, and demo- for a large organization, kind of like how do you de- democratize the process within the organization in a way that, you know, you trust those. Uh, uh, it's department in in their, in the process of democratization through working online and 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 but sometimes those those uh, programs are put in place because they are advice right we have to do it as democracy but goes back to the beginning of what is your interior condition that you are going with to this because you can change the process you can change the layout of the organization, you can change the way you work online offline. But it kind of like we didn't have time to look how I I was operating, which qualities are coming out with, you know, it's it kind of like it's kind of I don't think it's a, it's a difference in a way. So I think that's going back to in terms of the maybe the leadership, you know, what is the interior condition that everybody is coming. With to 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 that future of work and yep. and hopefully with COVID-19, you know, a layer into questions that have kind of like came out with um, yeah, sometimes crisis helps for that for everybody in reality,
0: yeah. Absolutely, um, Mimi, have you got any more um, points to make or questions?
3: No, uh, I'm very happy with, <laughs> with my of all the answers and it, it's a lot of things to digest I think it's a lot it's, it's yeah. actually as you say um, a good moment that happened to us to to look back to reflect on how we used to work before, whether that has been successful or not um, and it, uh, it's this creative force um, that that came up from the crisis I think and we should use this chance to to rethink, uh, reflect. Um, and, and plan the next steps with the new constraints.
1: And, that, and that, I guess also that um, what I see is also a very, uh, generational change as well. Sort of the millennials have worked in or have grown in a very different uh, environment and perceptions of work, so their idea about work, I think it's, it's also changed. Uh, and they've grown up also being very familiar with things like meditation and being much more aware of mental health issues of precarity in work. So I think even there, that's also going to shape um, work uh, in the future as well. And the common goals are things that we, people want to get out of work.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's um, really interesting that a lot of the people who are super successful and by that, I always have to reclarify. I don't just mean in terms of monetary. I mean, you know, well-rounded, happy individuals in, in mm. their personal life and careers. Uh, 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 across all the things that you guys are mentioning here, one of those is certainly meditation for sure. And um, one of those is absolutely reflection. And it goes mm. back to that understanding your inner scorecard. And, and I think mm. that um, it's been a pleasure to understand a little bit about the the theory of you and uh what we'll do is we'll leave on the show notes um a link to to the book or any literature that you guys share with us that the audience might like to then then, um then read after listening to the podcast um thank you so much for your time guys absolute pleasure thank
1: you thank you thank you pleasure too